0: What a question. Why should I gain from his reward? And as we ask that question today in song, we we really can't give an answer of our own right, of our own work, uh, to be justified that he would die for us. But yet, indeed, he did because of the grace of God. And church, that makes us the bride of Jesus Christ. And so I want to remind you of that, where you stand today, if you stand in Christ Jesus and in the complete work of Christ, the finished work of Jesus, you stand whole, you stand complete, although you may not feel that way sometimes, or let's just say you may feel pretty good this morning about yourself. You just need to be reminded that you stand whole and complete, and you are the bride of Christ. He will not forget his bride. Jesus is coming back. And so today's message is focused on two kinds of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom, and there's a heavenly wisdom. And we need to know the difference between the two. Because as the bride of Jesus Christ, it is important for us to have a heavenly wisdom in which we live by each and every day, guided by each and every day, to be of the greatest use For the glory of God. So pray with me. Let's ask God's blessings on this message, and then we're going to dive into James chapter three. Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus. We are not deserving of having a King come and serve us to the point of death, then to resurrection, leading to eternal life. Father, thank you so much for your kindness upon us. We were in darkness, hard hearts, eyes not looking to you, but looking to our own gods, our own created idols. And yet, by your love, by your great wisdom, your plan was put in place and you have saved us and you have made us your very own. God, today, Teach us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the importance of having a true, sound, biblical wisdom, a heavenly wisdom for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. The story is told of two men who lived in a certain city. One was envious and the other covetous. The ruler of the city sent for them and said he wanted to grant them one wish each with this stipulation that the one who chose first would get exactly what he asked for, while the other man would get exactly twice what the first had asked for himself. The envious man was ordered to choose first, but immediately found himself in a dilemma. He wanted to choose something great for himself, but realized that if he did so, the other would get twice as much. He thought for a while, and then he asked, I wish that one of my eyes be plucked out. In the church, this type of person could honestly pray, Lord, I would sooner your work was not done at all than done by someone better than I can do it. And when it comes to the two types of wisdom today, the first one we're going to look at in a few moments will be earthly wisdom. That earthly wisdom is guided by a jealous heart, a desire for self-glory. So the first wisdom we'll look at today, earthly wisdom, desiring what is best for the glory of self. The second kind of wisdom that we'll look at today is heavenly wisdom, desiring what is best for the glory of God. And so before we get into these two different types of wisdom, let's look at the biblical concept of wisdom, which is God-centered rather than man-centered. So we're going to be in the book of James chapter three. If you need to grab the pew Bible in front of you, please do take that as a gift. If you do not have a Bible at home that you can continue reading with us, James chapter three, starting in verse 13, we're going to go through the end of the chapter today. And if you want to get a quick jump to James chapter three, it's on page 1012. So read with me verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So biblical wisdom denotes a fear of God and an understanding of his ways. As we look in Proverbs nine ten, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So fearing the Lord, having knowledge of the Holy One, this is wisdom. This is the beginning of wisdom. This word wise in verse 13 does not necessarily imply brilliance or scholastic training. And for those of you who are never good in spelling tests or never good taking tests growing up or just didn't excel in school, you can uh, breathe a, a huge sigh of relief at this moment. Because it's not how smart you are, but instead this word sophos in the Greek indicates the ability to apply skillfully what one knows skillfully what one knows faithfully what one knows especially religious truth and so another way of asking this question in verse 13 would be who has a god-centered way of life james is writing this to the early church they're spread abroad and at the middle and in the middle of this letter there's there's this question who has a god-centered way of life about them It's an important question for all of us even today, and to receive the answer, we must look at one's conduct or behavior or mode of life, looking at one's works. That's what we look to a person to find. If we want to find wisdom in them, we need to see good works, And, and if you've been with us in the book of James this fall, this is no surprise to you that he's speaking of good works The good works will show forth the wise person. And so what is the driving force behind a Christian's good works? We need to know that because if you're going to go out this week and you're going to do good works, what's the motive behind the good works? Because we can have many bad motives. It can be for our own success, for our own wealth, for our own recognition. And we can all be guilty of that one. I mean, we want people to recognize that we're actually doing good. Maybe to give some affirmation to us that the works we're doing are actually good. But the good news is that the Bible reveals what the good works are. And so we don't have to do it for recognition. Or do we do it for favor with God? Can I tell you something beautiful, church? That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you already have the favor of God. You already have the goodness of God inside of you. So, he's not basing that on, are you going to go on a good streak this week and gain more favor from God? That's not the motive for good works. No, it's meekness, it's humility. That's the motive for our good works. I love this definition of meekness. We used this when we went through the fruit of the Spirit and used this uh, a few weeks ago. I want to bring it back to the surface. Meekness is an inwrought grace of the soul. Expressed primarily toward God. So, So here's how it plays out God works into the heart his grace. He works into the heart of man his grace. And from the grace filled heart overflows good works. What was the condition of the heart before God's grace came busting forth? It was hard, it was a stone, it was cold. It possessed maybe an earthly type of wisdom, a jealousy for self-glory. But when the grace of God came forth and penetrated our hard hearts, all of a sudden, the goodness of God dwelt inside of us. And from this overflows good works. The result is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. We don't wow ourselves by the things that we do. We're wowed by God. Because Christian, the greatest thing about you is what God has worked in you. That's the greatest thing about you today is the goodness of God in you. That's what you boast about. That's what you take joy in. That's what you take great significance in. When you wake up and if the first thing that hits you is Why should I go throughout this day? The answer is because the goodness of God dwells within me. That's why. That's your mojo. That's the motivation behind good works. You're saying, Brian, are you just making this up off the top of your head? Or or where are you you gathering this from? That God comes to us first and and penetrates our hard hearts and and his grace comes bursting forth. Where, Where is this from? Well, we see it all throughout the Bible, really. But I'll point to Two verses or chat or in two books of the Bible today Titus 3 4 through 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. See how that worked? The goodness and kindness of God appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul in Romans says it this way, in Romans 5, 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. You at one time did not possess the Holy Spirit living inside of you, Christian. But when you became a follower of Christ, meaning God's grace invaded your heart, woke you up to his goodness and your need for him, there was indeed an effectual call. You repented. You were saved. The goodness of God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit is now at work. Wow. Wow. You truly are a different person than who you used to be, Christian. God now resides within you. Where it used to be, we didn't want God anywhere near us. You say, Well, that's not really my story. I mean, I've always thought well of God, I've always prayed to God, but with what motive? With what motive? And that's what James is getting to today. Because of such grace, wisdom is a demonstration of gentleness and power. The Greeks described it as power under control. And so the driving force behind our good works is indeed meekness. And for the best example of this meekness, a power under control, is when Jesus is standing before the authorities and he holds back what he's capable of doing and that's to destroy all of them for their blasphemy and for their hatred against their creator. He's looking them eyeball to eyeball and it's gentleness under control. You did not take my life, but I gave my life. Jesus gave his life on the cross, the greatest display of meekness for all of the church to behold. And so what do we learned up to this point in the book of James well before salvation good works come from the motivation of earthly pride so if you meet someone who's saying and you ask them hey are you a Christian are you a Christ follower and they say I'm trying to be well I'm working at it and you go whoa, whoa, whoa hold on let's time out what do you mean you're trying to be what do you mean you're you're working at it because if, if you're working at it if you're trying to be then that's an <laughs> earthly pride That's of the earth. No, you need something that's heavenly. You need something that's extra you, outside of you. Something that you're incapable of doing, but someone else is capable of doing, and that's Jesus. You need Jesus and what he can do. So before salvation, good works come from the motivation of earthly pride. In salvation, good works come from the meekness of heavenly wisdom. That's where our good works come from. So that's just a rundown on biblical wisdom. So let's look at the two kinds of wisdom today. Number one, earthly wisdom, desiring what is best for the glory of self. Verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Maybe in your translation that you're holding, it says in every evil practice. Earthly wisdom is bitterly jealous for selfish gain. Bitterly jealous for selfish gain. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast Be false to the truth. This word bitter means a zeal for self-glory. It doesn't stop until it has received what it's going after, glory for self. Or selfish ambition means a seeking, a self-seeking aspirations, interests which are purely political and self-serving. I really was trying to think of a good example of anything that could be going on politically right now in our country, and I just couldn't come up with one. Actually, I could, but I'm not going to use it. Uh, But I've told this story not long ago. I asked my wife. Sometimes I forget stories I tell, and if you ever hear me tell a story that I've told before, just say repeat. All right. And and so she said, "You just told this recently, so I'm just going to tell it again." One day, uh, I was I was in the middle of preaching, and somebody came through the back doors. There was only 15 minutes probably left in the message, and somebody motioned to them, hey, would you like to sit on the back row? And they go, no, 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 thank you. We, we want to. And they pointed up front and I thought, wow, who are these guys? Man, they want to come sit up front. Why do they want to come sit up front? I mean, we're almost done here. We start at 1030. Doesn't everybody know that? And, and so and I know we don't. Most of you, first time you ever got here, you got here at 11 o'clock. It's all good. But they, they come walking forward and, and they sit right over here with a beautiful Mallory's to sit right on that row. They, were, they, were, they sat there in your seats and, and they were there and they were waving at people and, and people were looking at them like who are these guys and so at the end of the service I mean we had people walking over to them to see if they were a search committee and and slipping them 20s and saying hey take him just take him with you and um but then they they came to the back and and I met this gentleman I said who are you I'm really interested to know who you are and he introduced himself said he was running for office and I thought wow that's that's right that's why you didn't want to sit on the back row you wanted to come and be seen by everyone in fact, we weren't the first stop that day. We were the third stop that day. He had already knocked out two local churches before he got to us. And when I was reading this, I just could not think of anything else but that day how upset I was standing in the back and going, you, you made it about yourself in that moment. But you know what? It's not just that gentleman who, who now serves, but it's all of us. Selfish ambitions, many times we just want to walk down the aisle and everybody go, wow, yeah, look at that person. They, they possess a great wisdom. But see, earthly wisdom wants that. They, earthly wisdom craves the attention. But Philippians 2, 3 tells us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so it's, it's the meekness that says you're more important than me. That's how we live our lives. That is the motive of how we work. We are bearing a false witness if we proclaim to know Christ, yet consider ourselves more significant than others. That's bold to say, but I believe it lines up with what we're reading today. Meaning this, that we are only serving Christ in name while out to make a name only for ourselves. If you right now, whatever you're doing in life are out to make a name for yourself, let me encourage you with something. It's exhausting. It will wipe you out. You will run dry you will never be satisfied. If you're out to make a name for yourself, if you're going, hey, I'm starting this new company, I'm just getting started day one, I wanna impress everybody at work, or I'm going to school and it's a new year and I I just wanna make a good name for myself, if you're doing it for your own self, you will fall and you will be so empty and you will ask yourself this question, what is the meaning of striving? Why am I doing all of this? I just feel like I have no purpose. This false witness is fueled by a raging fire of jealousy and selfish ambition. And James is saying, hey, 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 listen. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It's of the earth. It's of the dust, man. It's here and it it goes back to what it was. It's unspiritual, meaning it's without the spirit. That's what that word means, without the spirit. It's a dead man philosophy. It's demonic. It's everything antichrist. That's demonic. If you want to know what is demonic, is anything antichrist. And the result is this, that those who are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic do not accept the things of the spirit of God. And you know what? James isn't pinning this letter to Rome. He's not writing this to Nero, who is an evil emperor of the day. He's writing this to the church and saying, Your motive, your motive for wisdom could be demonic. Like, you need to know this. This is urgent. It's urgent for all of us to stop in our tracks today and go, What is my motivation for wisdom? for living every day. What is my motive? 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Who's a natural person? A natural person is one who does not possess the Holy Spirit. That's a natural person. A natural person acting on their own strength, acting on their own will, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. There's no no other person that you could put here. When it says the natural person, you're saying, well, who else could that be? These are people who are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They are not able to accept the things of the Spirit of God. So if you're acting on the natural, you can't accept the things of God Romans 8, 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. That's a natural mind. What is it, Man's natural disposition towards God. It's, it's that he's hostile. Not necessarily angry, but hostile. Against, against God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Who are those who are in the flesh? Those who are in the flesh are without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot submit to God's law. It is impossible. Indeed, it cannot. Paul can't be more clear. Scripture cannot be more clear that in the natural self, we do not accept the things of God. And if our natural way of living, we're seeking wisdom, it will not be heavenly, it will be earthly, filled with all types of jealousy and filled with all types of selfish ambition to say, you know what? I want great things, but if I have something great and that means that he's going to get something even more, I don't want it. Have you ever felt that way that you were given a great gift and all of a sudden you received that great gift and you enjoyed that great gift, but then you looked over and a friend of yours received an even better gift and you go, I don't want this gift anymore. I want that gift. That's jealousy. That selfish ambition, that's leading your life based on earthly wisdom. And James is warning the church, he's saying, do not go there. And if you're already there, turn around. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Things will be chaotic. James is exposing the root of the problem, If the seed is planted and rooted into the soil of jealousy and selfish ambition, then one will reap corruption. Weeds. That's all you will have on the farmland. Weeds. As we draw closer to Christ, there will be less straining for personal happiness and more training for God-honoring holiness. And this is not exhausting. This is refreshing doesn't mean it's not hard, but it's refreshingly hard. So meekness frees us from self-promotion. Meekness frees us from self-promotion. You don't have to promote yourself. You don't have to put your best, best self forward. You can put Christ forward and live this type of wisdom. Self-centered promotion is exhausting, as we've said. It's a chasing after the win. Not just making that up. Solomon, when he speaks on the vanity of self-indulgence, he experienced it himself. In Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 11, this is what he says. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil then I was considered, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You know what he's saying? Nothing at all that I can go after in my own strength is worth it. Nothing. This is somebody who came several thousand years before us and yet it's still true today. John MacArthur says this, to expend God-given resources for human accomplishment alone is empty. It is empty. It's vanity. So we need a God-centered humility, which is a heavenly wisdom. Number two, heavenly wisdom is desiring what is best for the glory of God. That's what we want. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what you want. This is where you hone in, extra careful. You listen because this is the type of wisdom that you want to possess. And here's how he lays it out, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's an awful lot like uh, Galatians chapter five. We see the list of the fruit of the Spirit. But he says it's first pure. So before anything else follows, it is pure. And then the rest of the things mentioned are just a collection of those things which ought to be pure. That's how he lays it out in verse 17. So heavenly wisdom, and, and he says it's this, I mean, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Kent Hughes says it involves moral purity before God and devotional purity in one's focus on him. I want to break this down towards the end of the message today, so we'll come back to what is pure. But then it's to be peaceable. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He's telling his disciples, your heart does not have to be troubled. You do not have to be afraid. You do not have to walk in fear because I give you peace. But the peace comes from me and only from me. Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So they're peaceable, they're gentle, which means they're teachable. I love this story I read about Abraham Lincoln this week. He says, On one occasion, Abraham Lincoln, to please a certain politician, issued a command to transfer certain regiments. When Secretary of War Edwin Stanton received the order, he refused to carry it out, saying the president was a fool. When Lincoln was told of this, he replied, if Stanton said, I am a fool, then I must be, for he is nearly always right. I will see for myself. As the two men talked, the president quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake, and without hesitation, he withdrew it. For you see, a teachable person is open spirit is often a major key in diffusing conflict. A teachable, open spirit is often a major key in diffusing conflict. Are you teachable? Are you pure in your motives? Are you striving for peace? Are you teachable? We'll look at that in just a minute, minute as well. But then, open to reason, meaning not stubborn, mercy. You know what mercy means here, this word? It means compassion in action. You say you're compassionate for people, but it's compassion put into action, mercy, impartial, which means you're consistent with the way you treat others, the way you live your life, and you're sincere. 2 Corinthians 1, 2, or one twelve. for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. So he follows this up with verse 18, and he says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So here's a good question to kind of close out these verses. It would be this, who are those who make peace? If if we are to have godly wisdom and those who make peace, then who are the people who make peace? What does it look like? Can you give us some practical means of what this looks like day to day. Sure, I'll give you four types of people today. If you're taking notes, you'll just want to write four types of people. But there's only one that I'm going to mention here. Only one makes for peace. I'm going to give you four types. Only one makes for peace. Let me give you the first one. First person is the unteachable, but trustworthy. The unteachable, but they are trustworthy. Maybe this person does not desire to learn much, or they feel like they have learned enough already. And so you can't really teach them anything because when you begin to teach, they shut you off or they don't enter into environments where they can learn. Instead of taking time to maybe read on a certain uh, subject or more importantly, to read God's word, they say, you know what? I have more important things to do. They're unteachable. Or they say, I already know everything I need to know about the Bible or they're around a group of people where they feel like they know more than anybody else in the room. So they're unteachable. Like You you can't take them anywhere because they feel like they know more than you. But they are trustworthy, which means they're reliable. They want to lead. So maybe you're here today and you're going, yeah, I'm I'm that person. You really can't teach me anything. I feel like I know enough already. And maybe you wouldn't say that out loud, but if you're being honest in your heart right now, you say, yeah, I've, I've acted that way. I've kind of gotten to a point where I can't learn anything else. I've learned enough. But you're a trustworthy person, which means you'll, you'll lead as you're called upon. You're not afraid to step forward. You see, they lead. These people lead from their own ideas and are bound to make a mess of things and learn the hard way. This is not godly wisdom. This is earthly wisdom. Those who are unteachable, but yet they're still trustworthy. You say, hey, I'm trustworthy, but you're unteachable. Meekness, learn, keep learning. More importantly than anything, if you're hearing this and you are the unteachable, but yet you consider yourself to be trustworthy, open up God's word today and get back to reading. Soak it up. There are a lot of things you don't learn. If you think you know it all, then just go to Steve Parker's Sunday school class and play Bible trivia with them like I did this morning. 10 questions. 10 questions and you'll reveal to the whole class what you don't know about the Bible. It's rather humiliating, yet refreshing. Be teachable. Be humble. Be teachable. You see, for those who are unteachable but trustworthy, I'll remind you again, they leave from their own ideas and are bound to make a mess of things and learn the hard way. Avoid this. Number two, the second person, is one who is teachable but untrustworthy. Oh, this person wants to learn This person is hungry to learn. They they can't get enough. Man, they're they're reaching out to all different types of resources and bring it in. They cannot get enough. They they, they read God's word. They can can tell you God's word. They they, they want you to speak into the conversation. Tell me more. Tell Tell me about your experience in life. Tell me about when you were in this position or when you were in this situation. Man, they are teachable but they're untrustworthy. Meaning that they, they don't mind learning, but you can't trust them because their whole motive is that they just want to be seen and heard by others. They just want to stand up front. They just want to be acknowledged. They love the title of leadership. Whatever that title may be, they love it. And they love being called by it. This person does not mind stepping on your face in order to get to the next rung on the ladder. And that's rather unfortunate because many times the face that they step on are the people who have been holding the ladder for them and helping them up. That is a person who is teachable but untrustworthy. This is earthly wisdom. Number three, unteachable and untrustworthy. (laughs) They're both of these, unteachable and untrustworthy. They know it all, and they're out for selfish game. You can't teach them anything, and they don't even want to be near you. You can't get close to them. It does not care. They do not care to know anything. They care only for themselves. They're a self-promoter at all cost. At all cost. This person's very arrogant. It's easy to see. There's nothing you can teach them, and you cannot trust them with what they're going to do next meaning that they are fueled by this fire of jealousy and selfish ambition. And so these three types of people, the unteachable but trustworthy, or the teachable but untrustworthy, or the unteachable and untrustworthy, James is saying, do not be these people. Don't be these type of people, but be this fourth person, the one who has godly wisdom. Be teachable and trustworthy. Be teachable and trustworthy. It's where we read earlier from a comment from Kent Hughes having devotional purity and moral purity before God a devotional purity and a moral purity meaning that you you want to read you want to gain knowledge because you want to be pure you want to walk closely with Christ this is a great desire If your desire is not fully there, you pray for it. God, give me the desire today for your word, that I would soak up your word, that I would memorize your word, that I'd hide your word in my heart, that I'd meditate on it so I won't sin against you, and so I'll walk purely before you. Uh, Saturday morning, seven o'clock, no one was, well, there were a few stirring within the house, but I had a cup of coffee. I went and sat on the back porch, and we have a few trees in the back, and A bunch of birds were chirping, and I'm sitting back there, and I'm going, "Wow, God, you were so good, you were so good. You have created all of these things." And these, I close my eyes, and I'll just hear the birds chirping and talking to each other, and and I'm going, "I don't know what they're saying, but it's awesome." And God, you've created these things, and you may be wondering what was in my coffee. It was just regular coffee, and I'm I'm having a, a good time with the Lord, just praying. And then I thought, "How do I know that you created these things, God? It's not by me looking at the trees." It's not by me hearing the words. Although Romans 1 says you can look out and see, but we can't because I had that hard heart. I had that stubborn mind, but I know this because the word of God penetrated my heart. I know his word. I don't know all of his word, but I know a lot of his word. I know more of his word now than I did when I first began to follow. But the more you know his word, the more you're able to step out on the back porch and go, God, you're good. Or you're able to go through that challenging situation in life, and you can still say, God, you're good. I don't understand it all, but I know, I do know this, you're good, and you're above all of this, and yet you're working in all of this, and yet you're good. This is godly wisdom that we so desire. It's a devotional purity, knowing God from his word, not how we want to make him to be. And then There's a moral purity before God, meaning that not only do we just love his word, but we want to do his word so that when we're alone with that opposite sex and and you're dating right now and you're tempted, you're going, no, let's let's depart right now. Let's let's call it a night. You go this way and, and I'll go this way. We don't need to hang out and keep walking in this temptation because we will fall. Where's the motivation from? Purely from his word, from walking with him being teachable, but yet trustworthy. Men, it's being faithful when you travel. Ladies, it's being faithful when you're maybe at home all by yourself. Or it's being faithful when you're surrounded by kids. You're saying that's a little more like it? Because you're teachable and you're trustworthy, and yet you can admit that you need to grow in both of these Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Meaning that, in verse 17, we model our lives after Christ. He displays meekness for us in the greatest way on the cross. When he stretched out his hands and he said, it is finished. That is the greatest act of meekness. He did that so that we could walk in meekness, so that we could be teachable, and that we could be trustworthy, that we could walk with a godly wisdom on this present earth until he returns and makes all things new. And he's going to. But before he does, he's left us here. In fact, he prayed for us already. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you in John 17? He prayed for you. Not for these only, but for also those to come. He prayed for us. And he told God this. He, he said to the Father that they were main. Don't take them out. So if there's ever a day when you're going, why didn't I just become a Christian and then boom, I could just go up to heaven and be with Jesus. Why did he leave me here? Because of Jesus. He said, keep them here, Father. Keep them here. Keep the church present on this earth. Why? So it will be teachable. So it will be trustworthy. So we walk with godly wisdom to make him known. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus today? You see, salvation begins with with trust. Do you trust him? Meaning there's faith that he is good. Do you believe that today? Are you walking with Christ? Or would you say right now, I'm I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to do my best. No, not not that. Because you'll never get there. I'm telling you, sir, ma'am, you'll never get there. But do you trust Jesus? Because Jesus has already done it. If you want to follow Jesus, and today your heart is on fire wanting to walk with Christ, call upon him. Say, you are Lord. I am not. I trust in you. I trust in what you did for me on the cross, that you display the greatest meekness so that I could walk in meekness and glorify God. Would you, would you pray to the Lord now, just where you are? Just confess that with your mouth. If you believe that in your heart, confess it with your mouth and be saved. And we'd love to follow up with you. If that's where you are right now, I'm going to be standing up here at front, Pastor Joby and Pastor Will, and, and uh, we'll have Pastor Charlie in the back. We're, we're all around the room. We, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. You can check on that connection card. I want to know more about following Christ. We'll follow up with you that way if you prefer. But don't let the moment pass right now. If that's heavy on your heart, please act. Please act. For the church, are you walking in earthly wisdom or godly wisdom? Go back this week and read James chapter three. Ask that question to yourself. Pray that to the Lord. Lord, have I been walking in earthly wisdom or am I walking in godly wisdom? And how can you whittle it all down? Am I doing this for selfish ambition or am I doing it to make you known, Lord? Where am I trying to make myself known? And wherever I'm trying to make myself known, crush it, Lord, crush it. So that I can make you known. Lord, take it. Take it from me. I don't want it. I want to make you known. Will you do that, church, this week? Maybe now, where you are, you'll begin to pray that. Lord, reveal to me where am I trying to make myself known? Two kinds of wisdom. Earthly wisdom, heavenly wisdom. Which one are you striving for? I hope it's heavenly wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, help us to see you for who you are. May we see ourselves for who we are not so that we will depend on you for everything. Our greatest boast is Jesus Christ. For wherever that has not been true in an area of our lives, will you reveal it right now? Do a work among the church this morning. May we not just push this aside and already thinking about what's next, but Father, heavy on our hearts right now, may we examine where are we trying to make ourselves known. Remind us that it is exhausting. It is empty. It is vanity. And refresh us with the Holy Spirit. Renew us in mind today. May we be glad to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.